take a deep breath Take the higher road That's what they always say As if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself Cause life ain't just a dream You make your own So kick and scream The people will like With a never-ending force You never had the chance So what you waiting for The day has come, my friend Cause this is war guys i am feeling a little on the spicy side today and this show might feel maybe a little controversial um than other shows that i've done um before but i i think it's important that we talk about it and i feel the need to talk about it and i think every time i talk about something that's maybe in the news that feels a little bit more controversial um hopefully to people that are listening you have maybe a new way of looking at something or it opens up, you know, kind of an area for dialogue in your life. But um, in the wake of a couple of, of shootings that we've seen, the shooting in Nashville at the school, and then there was also a recent um, shooting in California um, in a grocery store parking lot. I think it was a Trader Joe's. Um, I want to talk about gun control because that is ultimately what is always talked about shortly thereafter, you know, one of these headline making shootings uh, takes place, specifically school shootings. And as kind of I've talked about before on my show, um, you know, when I when I would talk about COVID, I think what ends up happening is that if you have a perspective like I do, where I don't think that gun control is the answer, that doesn't equate to me wanting people to die from gun violence. It's like not like a, it's not a one-to-one correlation, right? Just like me not wanting people or thinking that nobody needs or should have taken the COVID vaccine. I don't, I don't think that anybody needed it, whether you were elderly, whether you were immunocompromised, I don't think anybody needed it. Um, that doesn't mean that I want you to get COVID, right? It's not, it's not an opposite, um, you know, situation. But when we talk about gun control as the result or the only solution um, to situations of gun violence, like we just recently saw in, in Nashville in yet another school shooting. I personally think it's just a Band-Aid. I think it is an effort on the part of our government to uh, not address the real problems, because if we addressed the real problems then the gun wouldn't be the issue, right? The gun is the absolute scapegoat every time something like this happens. And the other thing that I just want to mention is that, again, I'll kind of correlate it to COVID, is that 
just because I am not somebody that bought into COVID, I didn't think it was as bad as we were being manipulated to think it was. Um, you know, I didn't buy into all of the hospital nonsense, even while working in the hospital while it was going on. Um, you know, my, my, my perspective surrounding all of that is that if we were told the truth, we wouldn't be in this problem. But the government can't have us knowing the truth because then we would be in control and we would have the power. And it's the same with gun control. If, if we understood maybe some of the major significant contributing factors to the individuals responsible for these large acts of violence, we wouldn't be talking about gun control. I also think that when you have a perspective like I do that, um, you know, the example that I gave at the start of the show of just because I don't want gun control, that doesn't mean that I, you know, want people or that I'm, I'm happy or that it's okay that people die of gun violence. No, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I think there's also this assumption that you maybe don't have a relationship or that there's not empathy or that you're so far removed from, from the situation that you somehow can't uh, understand why gun control would be the solution. And that's not the case at all, right? Like during COVID, I worked in the hospital. I saw people affected by it. I talked to lots of patients, whether they had it themselves or a family member did. Like I was close. I was right there. I still came out with the perspective that I have today. Gun violence. When I was a sophomore or a junior, um, one of those one of those two years of my my four year high school. I don't know. I'm not great at math. I'm not going to do the math. But it was either sophomore or junior year. Um, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and while I was in high school, there was a school shooting at Thurston High School, which some of you may remember, or you can go and, and, and look it up. But it was the first time that I can recall. Um, I don't, I don't remember there being a school shooting before that, um, that I can recall. And this one was in our, this one was in our district. So we played the kids that went to Thurston in like all of our sports. So I had friends that I had run cross country against that I had played basketball with, you know, it was, they were in a neighboring town. Um, but you still, you still knew people, um, you know, it, it's, it's less than six degrees of separation. Right. And I remember it was sort of like the same feelings that a lot of people share, um, you know, everybody can kind of remember where they were on 9-11 and I can remember, um, the classroom that I was in when we heard that there was a shooting at Thurston and it was weird, right? Like it was weird to think that a child had gone and done this at their school, um, you know, and, and again, being kind of an eighties and a nineties, you know, kid growing up, like my childhood felt incredibly safe. I was of that, you know, generation where we're drinking out of the hose and we're literally riding our bikes all day long until the streetlights came on. And then that was your cue that you needed to be home. I never felt, um, really in any kind of 
situation, a, a lack of safety, whether that be in my neighborhood, whether that be riding the city bus to the mall, which I did from a very young age, um, you know, over at friends' houses. Um, I never felt that kind of like unsafe feeling. And I certainly never felt that way at school, at any school, um, elementary school, middle school, um, or high school for that matter. And so for this to happen and for it to happen so incredibly close to home was very shocking. Um, it was before cell phones. So, you know, we didn't have a way to connect with the people that we knew that went to that school. So you were just kind of waiting um, to either find out. It, it was more so actually awaiting to find out if they were a potential victim because there was really they weren't announcing all the kids that, you know, weren't shot or injured, they were really only announcing, of course, the ones that had been injured, or unfortunately, the ones that had died. And you were just sort of waiting to see, oh, my gosh, is there going to be a name and a face and a, and a person that I know and that I recognize. And that's a very strange feeling as a child. And I remember, um, you know, the teachers were were shook up about it. Um, we talked about it a lot at school. Um, there was just this kind of somberness at our school. And even myself and a few friends, I think from like the dance team or the cheerleading um, squad or whatever, um, we went over to the high school and put a sign up, um, you know, on the fence showing like, you know, our what, what was support or, you know, just kind of acknowledging that, yeah, we might be rivals on the basketball court, but you know, we're, we're a community. And I think the other thing that was very unique about this particular school shooting is that this child also murdered his parents. So a lot to unpack there. Um, and now, so I, I, I lived that experience, right? Yes, a couple of degrees of separation, and it wasn't at my school, but I knew the people and, you know, all of that kind of things that, that shakes your, your community. Um, you know, now being an adult and looking at all of these school shootings that have transpired since then, um, it, it doesn't change my framework of thinking, right? Like, you know, I had that close encounter, if you will, but I still, even having had that experience, don't think that gun control is the answer. I think generationally since the 80s and 90s and how kids are raised and, um, you know, parents and how involved they are and what our culture and what our society is like now versus then and as it's trended in in the manner that it has to get to where we are here i think that there are significant larger fish to fry than stricter gun laws i think as a society we inherently number one we are so separated from god we we just are um and i think that the further that we get away from god the further we get away from valuing human life in general. I think we have a lot of components of our culture that it's, it's not necessarily glorify violence because I hate that comp. I hate that conversation really like, Oh, this kid played video games. And so that trained his brain to, 
you know, go in and, and commit this crime or shoot guns. No, I don't think that that is the precursor or the, the training or what happens, you know, to these kids. I actually think that we just in general have gotten so soft as a society. And I think that parents have gotten soft. I've talked about it on previous shows that parents don't seem to have the backbone to discipline for their kids to have consequences. You know, we feel like we have to give our kids so much rope that we don't know, you know, really who they're hanging out with, who their influences are. Um, you know, we have all of this. Um, I, t I talked on a show recently about this transgender um, stuff, you know, that is just so in our kids' face and causing confusion. We have a music industry that is you know, glorifying, um, you know, promiscuity, uh, glorifying killing and murdering. And I think that our kids ultimately become really desensitized to it first and foremost, but I think it then becomes so accepted that if you try to remove any of that as a parent from your kids sort of, um, existence or their vernacular, that you then risk being that parent, right? Like I remember this is actually a super funny story and it's one that my sister and I laugh about like all the time. I remember my sister had a birthday party, um, maybe like her 12th or 13th birthday. And of course me being the like dopey little sister, like I always tagged along but my sister had, um, like a group of girlfriends come over and spend the night. And it was like movies and like slumber party in the living room, all that stuff. And she wanted to watch the movie Dirty Dancing. And now going back and watching Dirty Dancing now, I'm like, ooh, there are some parts in there that like as a young kid, I probably didn't know what was happening, right? There's the abortion scene. There's some other, you know, it's called Dirty Dancing, right? But there is the, there is the sex scene um, between, um, you know, Patrick Swayze's character and Jennifer Grey's character. And, um, my mom literally came into the living room, stood in front of the TV and hit fast forward on the VCR to like fast forward through the sex scene. And I just remember my sister and I were absolutely mortified to like, this was so embarrassing. However, those are the sort of protective measures that parents for some reason now are not doing. And I don't know if it's just because it's so much like they'd have to do it on every TV program. Your kids could not listen to like any music because it's just constant. And I really do feel like that. I feel like that's with my son. Like I have to be incredibly like just kind of on, on, on overboard about like, okay, what are you watching? What do you have access to? What are you looking at? All of these things. But I think parents back then, my parents would not have cared. Like if any of the, of the kids' parents that were at the sleepover called my mom and dad and said, oh, I heard you fast forwarded through the sex scene. Like, you know, my parents would have been like, yeah, 
Mm -hmm, I did. Absolutely. And it was to protect my child. And it was also to protect your child. Like if that's something you want to watch at your home, that's fine. But parents nowadays, I feel like are more concerned about the acceptance amongst their group than they are about looking at their own children and saying, gosh, I think I need to confront maybe some mental health things that are plaguing my child, or I need to go in and interrupt the fact that my child has been on a video game for four hours. Like my kid needs to get outside, get some sunshine, get some fresh air, you know, touch some grass and ride a bike and do some things outside of that. And for whatever reason, I see it over and over and over. Parents don't do that. They're just, they're, they're just lacking in that backbone. So when I look at school shootings, I look at probably that being a really significant component of, you know, that child's existence, something in that kiddo's life is askew. And that could be a myriad of things, right? I don't think that this is like a cookie cutter, like one size fits all. But I do think that there's probably some baseline things that could be um, relatable amongst all of these kids. Um, You know, God forbid there's an abuse component, whether that be emotional, physical, or sexual. Um, You know, I don't think that, you know, the, the hours a day on video games or this sort of like hyper independence, like nobody can know what I'm doing in my room. Um, you know, my, my parents aren't allowed in my room. My parents don't know who my friends are. My parents don't know who my friends' parents are. I think that can be a contributing factor. I think the world in general Our society, our culture, the negative influence, I think, can be a factor. And I also think, and this might be a a real controversial kind of statement um, or maybe even sounding judgmental, which it's, it's not meant to be a negative judgment statement. Let me just put it this way. I think that we all went to school with kids that maybe just seemed a little, a little different. Maybe let's, let's say that for what, for whatever reason we didn't, we don't know. We can't put our finger on it. There's always in these scenarios, there seems to be some sort of red flag, right? Like after the fact, we hear about it from a teacher or we hear about it from a friend or we hear about it from an aunt or an uncle, or, you know, somebody that comes forward probably very reluctantly and says, gosh, you know, I, they, they really, they isolated a lot or they seemed depressed or, you know, whatever the case may be, they share something that they had seen in that child that now connecting the dots goes, Ooh, gosh, you know, maybe I should have said something. Maybe I should have talked to the mom or dad about that. And I feel like that was significantly more present when I was growing up than it is now. My parents knew the kids at my middle school or my high school that they could tell probably were not going to be the best influence for me to hang around with, that they could tell maybe were going to 
get into some sort of trouble or we're already the troublemakers. And we would have open dialogue about that. We would have conversations like, hey, this is why I don't think this kiddo is a great influence or somebody that you should necessarily be closely associating with. We have that guilt by association, um, you know, that's pretty darn common these days. And it certainly was back then. But my parents had enough kind of wherewithal and backbone to have those conversations. And I even think that they had enough backbone that if there were other parents that they were potentially concerned about their kids, you know, maybe associating um, with a child that they didn't think was on the right path, they would have those conversations as well. I think nowadays we're so afraid of being judged or being accused of passing judgment that we would never say anything, that we don't say anything. That we see these kids that that are like, oh, gosh, I I don't think he's on the right path. Something seems a little bit off. You know, what's maybe happening in that in that child's private life or their personal life that, you know, we don't know about, but maybe something needs to be discussed. Nobody will say those things anymore. And I think that parents are just too afraid. I think they're too soft and I think they're too afraid. They don't want to, you know, miss out on getting an invite somewhere. They don't want to be ostracized. They're too afraid of actually doing the right thing. Their ego is going to be bruised. They, you know, maybe even they don't have the time. Maybe they're just exhausted. They're, you know, they've got their own kids to worry about. Their kids are in sports. They're running them from, you know, here to there and everywhere. Um, one parent travels for work. Whatever the case may be, they're too exhausted to recognize that maybe a conversation, you know, would, would do that kid some good. Conversely to that, those same parents are probably not too busy to sit down and critique somebody's dance moves on a TikTok video. They're probably not too busy to critique the outfit or the hairstyle or, you know, talk poorly about, the kids that, that their kids go to school with in a manner of popularity or intelligence or, oh, they're not going to, you know, make the basketball team. They probably have time to do that, but they probably are reluctantly or refusing to have a grown up adult conversation when they see a behavioral issue that's a red flag in a child. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we've gotten to that place where we would literally rather judge a kiddo on their dance moves on TikTok than tap into our instincts as adults and as parents and potentially say something that could prevent a catastrophic event like a school shooting. I don't I don't know how that like conversation goes or how we kind of like rewrite the script other than literally just starting in our own homes and having such a core foundation of, you know, in, in, in my personal opinion, getting back closer to God, um, understanding the value of human life, both in the womb and outside of the womb. Um, and, and overall, concept and an overall 
understanding of correct versus incorrect. All of these conversations that we end up having that are so divisive and polarizing end up being conversations, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. And I have those conversations being a conservative woman, not really understanding a lot of the liberal framework for decisions that get made or the thinking surrounding it. However, this conversation to me eliminates Republican Democrat, eliminates conservative liberal, and it literally comes down to correct or incorrect. And that's behaviors and that is solutions, correct solutions, or in my opinion, incorrect solutions. And how we formulate our thinking about the problem in and of itself and how we find a solution for that, but then also how we can be so, I guess, ignorant to the fact that these types of situations, school shootings or mass shootings, are the only instance in which we apply this flawed logic, the flawed logic of gun control after a mass shooting. I'm going to dive in on that a little bit deeper um, in the second half of the show. But for now, I'm going to step away, take a short little break. And when we come back, we will continue on this hot topic. I am Nurse Beth. You are listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's time and this is The wellness company shares your values and fights for medical freedom. They put patients before profits and follow medical science, not political science like doctors on the left. Their chief medical board, which includes Dr. Peter McCullough, are the makers of the incredible American-made, high-quality spike formula. If you worry about spike proteins, go to TWC.health and use promo code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount. Once again, that's TWC.health, promo code OUTLOUD. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic-era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's COFIXRX.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at CofixRx.com. 
Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. America OUTLOUD beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. So let's look at any other scenario in which there is death or let's even say murder or acts of violence committed against one person or a group of people. And then let's compare that to what happens in one of these school shootings. And let's look at, for example, let's look at drunk driving. I think drunk driving is a is a relatively comparable um, example. So you have somebody who um, perhaps has a problem with alcohol as an underlying issue, addiction issue, um, or you have somebody who maybe went out one night and, um, you know, they, they think that they are safe to drive, but really they're not. So maybe even like a one-off situation, whatever the case may be, or you maybe also have that one person that has driven drunk before, but nothing has ever happened. And so every time, you know, yeah, I have a few beers, I get behind the wheel, but everything's fine. I make it home, yada, yada. And then the one time, um, you know, something bad happens. So we have this person who is inebriated and they choose to get behind the wheel of their vehicle and they cause a car accident. And let's say in that car accident, um, you know, the vehicle that they hit had four people in it, um, a family of four and the driver of the the vehicle that hit them, the drunk driver also dies. Okay. So you have five people that have, that have died from a collision caused by someone's impairment. We sometimes hear about these on the news, maybe, maybe your local news more so than your national news. 
Um, certainly I've seen stories of it, um, on the news, although I'm not a big news watcher, um, but if it happens to come across, you know, I might, I might see it, but never, 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 not once. And I stand by that statement. Never, not once have I heard the newscaster, um, the family members of the victims, anyone in the community, um, police, the FBI, uh, senators, Congress, congressmen. Never once have I heard anyone call for the the ban of that particular vehicle model. No, that that's not where our brains go. Our brains don't go to the car. The car hit that other car and killed those four people and also killed the driver of the car. We don't go after the, the, the maker of that vehicle. We don't say, oh, well, that car weighs, you know, X number of tons. We can't have those kinds of cars on the road. Look at this car. It's out there killing people. It's running into people on the freeway. Five people are dead because of that car. That's not what we say. That's not the conversation. No one's holding rallies. The, pre the president isn't saying, hey, Congress, it's time. I'm ready. Get that, get that uh, SUV ban bill on my desk. I'm ready to sign it. No. We look to the root of the problem. The root of the problem was the driver of that vehicle. And the driver of that vehicle made the choice knowing what they were doing after having had alcoholic beverages to get behind the wheel of that vehicle. It's the driver that's blamed. It's the driver. If the driver survives, it is the driver that faces jail time, prison time, manslaughter charges, vehicular manslaughter charges. Nothing, nothing comes, no, there's, there's no conversation about the vehicle. There's not even a conversation about car manufacturers should automatically put a breathalyzer in every car. If we want to say that all humans are irresponsible and that no human should drive a vehicle because every human has the risk of drinking the alcohol and every human has the risk of getting behind the wheel after drinking the alcohol, we should just standardize it and put a breathalyzer in every vehicle. We don't do that because it's not a rational conversation. If you said that to a, to a lawmaker or a congressperson, they would look at you like you had two heads. It's not rational because it's not the car's problem. The car didn't drive itself. The car didn't turn the ignition and, and, and go rogue and slam into that other car. The driver did that. So 
when we talk about gun control and gun violence and people choosing the gun as the particular weapon of choice, the gun is not unlocking itself from the gun safe. The gun is not walking over to the school or the parking lot like what just recently happened in California, which I should also mention California has incredibly strict gun laws. Crazy, crazy strict gun laws. Didn't seem to prevent that shooting. That gun isn't, the gun isn't doing it on its own. The gun is a extension in those moments of the human being, just like that vehicle is the extension of that human being. So there's, so there's the question, well, stricter gun laws. Well, what does that even mean? What does a stricter gun law mean? Less guns, different types of guns, We hear this argument all the time, nobody needs an AR-15, which is actually hysterical because the news will have you believe that, you know, an AR-15 is this, you know, wild, um, this, this wild weapon. And here's what they will tell you. They will tell you that AR stands for assault rifle and it doesn't. It doesn't. It actually stands for Armalite. So they've twisted this narrative. Any any gun could be an assault weapon. I, I could take the, the pistol of a handgun and hit someone with it, and I have just assaulted you with the gun. That made it an assault weapon. AR doesn't stand for assault rifle. But it sounds so much better to say that. It triggers your emotions to say that. So if you want to talk about gun control, what does that even mean? Fewer guns, different types of guns are allowed. Um, Who can own them? I mean, if you really want to get into that conversation, what, who, who gets to decide who gets to decide who owns a gun? What sort of what sort of laws then get passed where, um, you know, we already know convicted felons can't have one. Um, here in the state of Arizona, if you have a medical marijuana card, you cannot own a firearm. Um, you know, but who who make who makes that decision? If I ever, you know, go to therapy. Does my therapist have to turn over my, my name to someone and say, oh, well, they're in therapy. I don't know if they, if they should own a gun. I mean, slippery slope is such a cliche saying, but for the times in which we are living in, it is so incredibly relevant. There is no stop to what the government will do to maintain power and control. And gun control is a massive, massive piece of our American puzzle that they would love to have, you know, in, in their hands. 
And all the people that support gun control obviously look to the Second Amendment and say, well, it was written so long ago. It doesn't really apply now. And I couldn't believe that that's further from the truth. I think it applies more now in what I have seen over the last three years than any time in my life prior. And not from an unsafe standpoint where I think that crime is so bad that I, you know, have to have a gun in my nightstand because somebody's going to break into my house. No, not at all. However, do I, do I think that the government would potentially do something to its citizens if we did not have firepower? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. And I think we saw some really intense examples of that over the course of the pandemic in countries that do not have guns. Look at Australia, for example. They were literally going and taking people out of their homes and putting them in quarantine camps. I wholeheartedly believe that the only reason that that did not happen here in the United States is because we are armed citizens. And the interesting thing is that Gun sales went through the roof during the pandemic. They absolutely went through the roof. And now you're talking about responsible gun ownership. You're talking about people who saw their government as a threat to them and they wanted protection. You also saw people fighting over toilet paper in the grocery store what, what what level of unhinged ha- did we get to where people were literally fighting for toilet paper at the grocery store? Okay, maybe those people swung so far that they would break into your home if they can't get their toilet paper or they can't get their bottled water or they're not stocked up on food. Okay, maybe that's when the gun in your nightstand does come in handy. We saw so many examples over the last three years of why gun ownership is on the rise. And I I would render a guess that those people that went out and bought guns are not holding basement meetings on how to train the next school shooter. Because let me tell you, if those were the people, if, if it were associated with the NRA, if these were, um, you know, crazy MAGA Republicans, if these were your white supremacists, we would hear about it. We would know. That would be everywhere 24-7, every news channel, every media outlet, everything would be pointing out that the, that the threat that they keep talking about, about those types of people car- carried out, carried out another, another shooting, carried out another situation. No, that's not the case. And when we talk about school shootings and the solution, in my opinion, versus these sweeping gun laws, which really they're not going to do anything. If you're a criminal and you have a criminal mind and you have 
you know, vengeance against someone or something. If you need um, or want someone's vehicle, or if you want the money that is in their wallet, or if you want to go in and rob a jewelry store, you are going to get a gun and you are going to keep that gun. And it's the same, the mentality of that person with that gun isn't what is changing with gun control. It, it actually, all gun control does is unarms citizens who use their guns responsibly and who understand the importance of taking gun classes, gun safety, how to store their guns properly in their homes, how to have really educated conversations with their children about guns not being toys and we, you know, the guns stay locked in the safe and, you know, all of the, all of these things, it disarms people who have, you know, I'm not going to say none, but who don't, who aren't presenting themselves with ill intent behind that gun ownership. And like I just talked about a couple of minutes ago, look at California, incredibly strict gun laws. And they just had a shooting in the Trader Joe's parking lot. Because again, it's not the gun. It's not the gun waking up on a Sunday morning going like, well, yep, today's my day. I'm just going to go unload in this parking lot. No, it is the person behind the gun. So the crux of the problem really is what is driving, what is driving that? What is happening to our people, to our citizens, that is driving this? This recent one in Nashville is very odd to me. In fact, most school shootings are odd to me. I have a lot of questions that seem to go like unanswered, I guess. And albeit I don't really you know, spend hours and hours of my time digging in to try to find the information, but it is information that I would think would just be shared or volunteered up or looked at as part of any other crime, if you will. We have more technology these days. We have more ways to track people. Um, you know, everything is on the internet. You can't, you know, you've got location services on your phone. There's really no escape anymore. And with these school shootings, what I always find very interesting, um, independent of the fact that these parents somehow have no idea, you know, that, the, the, that their child would ever be capable of doing something like this. Okay. Well, again, I think, I think you're probably either lying or you're incredibly disconnected from your child, which is probably a foundational problem. I, I would know if I would know if my 13 year old son had a gun, let's just put it that way. I would know. And if my 13 year old son got a gun and I found out about it, I would treat that as a crime. I would go to the police and I would say, I would like you to pull his phone records, please. I would like you to pull the cell phone tower data, please. 
so that I can see, you know, where he's been, where he's been pinging. I would like for you to break into that phone and get everyone on his, you know, Snapchat and his text messages, please. I would like you to take that gun and I would like you to look at the serial numbers on that gun. And I would like you to trace that gun. I would like to know, you know, the purchasing. We seem to be able to do all of this with any other crime involving a gun. We watch it on the news or we watch, you know, TV shows about it that are, you know, like actual reporting shows, not just like, you know, these, these, these made up cop shows or whatever. We have the capabilities of doing all of that. We don't seem to do that with these school shooters. It's very strange to me. It's almost like we don't look at it as the same type of crime that we would look at as a one-on-one homicide in Chicago. Why not? I've never heard anything about it. I've never heard them talk about where these kids get these guns. They had to have had money. Right? No, nobody, nobody, I'm not, nobody's going to come to me and say, oh, could I, could I just have your gun for free? No. I'm not giving guns away. I don't know a lot of people that are giving guns away, especially large rifles. So there has to be an exchange of money. There has to be there has to be something happening transactionally for a child to get a gun. And unless every single gun in every school shooting has been modified or the serial number has been scrubbed or rubbed down like you never hear about that why it seems really odd to me really odd the catastrophe of it all is what takes center stage and that's, I think, I think as it should, right? Like whenever there's a loss of life, that is tragic. But there's also a crime that has been committed that should be investigated and looked at like any other, any other crime that would be involving a gun. They wouldn't just stop. They wouldn't, they wouldn't just say, oh, this gun killed this person on the streets of Chicago, we need gun control. That's the end. That's the end of the conversation. The police shot the assailant. Now we have two people that are dead. That's the end of the story. No, it's not. They still work the homicide as if it's a homicide because it is. You know, for all of the folks, I guess, that want gun control, I, you know, that that is a that is a very big conversation because you can't just have this blanket sweeping statement of gun control. What does that mean? What kind? What are the restrictions? Who gets a gun? What, you know, all of those types of things. But it makes me nervous that it doesn't make those people nervous 
that the only people that would have guns are the people walking and protecting our politicians, <laughs> right? That's weird. Are they, are those people going to give up their guns? Is the secret service going to give up their guns? Probably not. Police, which if your citizens are unarmed, why do you need a gun? They're not going to give up their guns. Because again, criminals are not going to give up their guns. Criminals aren't going, oh gosh, they just passed sweeping gun reform. I better, I better go turn this in down to my local precinct. No, they're not doing it. They're probably actually going to get more guns because they see that they're potentially going to have the upper hand. They're going to be armed. And fewer non-criminals are going to be armed. It's best case scenario for them. And then you have another large group of people with weapons, which are our military. And our military is a branch of the government. They follow orders. And again, watching over the last three years of really how little effort it takes to get someone to just follow an order is absolutely terrifying to me. To think about unarmed citizens going up against an armed military, a very, very large group of people who are trained from day one of joining the military to simply follow orders. We're not looking at history very closely. We're not looking at the, the purpose of the Second Amendment in our Constitution. We are failing to recognize that people have the responsibility and they owe it to themselves and they owe it to their community to be responsible. It's not the other way around. We can't make the assumption that everyone with a gun is an irresponsible gun owner. We should look at it completely differently. We should look at it that the majority of people that own guns are responsible gun owners. They follow all the rules. They take the classes. All of those things I talked about. And that there is a small offshoot percentage of people that unfortunately don't follow the rules. But it's not the gun breaking the rules. It's the human behind the gun making a conscious decision to use that gun for a nefarious purpose. And is it tragic? Of course. But so are car crashes with drunk drivers. We're not calling for the ban of every, you know, two-ton pickup truck or extended seat SUV. And we're certainly not calling for breathalyzers in every vehicle. We've got to look at things from a foundational level and start fixing the problems at the root source, not just putting a really, really, really loose-fitting Band-Aid on a very large problem. It's not going to work. It's just not. And the majority of people are not going to stand for it and not going to tolerate it. 
So, you know, I also, I also would, would say that the foreshadowing of that is again, you're going to pass all of these, these laws and, and these gun bans, citizens, good citizens, law abiding citizens are probably going to take the position of the criminal and just not turn in their gun. They're not doing it. They understand the importance of retaining that weapon for personal safety and protection and potential personal safety and protection against government tyranny and overreach. So with that, that is all the time that I have for today. Um, but remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Beth, and you can find me here every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time.